Really, there are only two ways of life. We can sum up this complex, disordered society of ours or a society of the future or past in one of two ways. Those who followed their own desires, their feelings, their wishes, their wants, and those who follow the commandments of the Word of God. Fundamentally, the problem of the first sin amounted to this. Adam and Eve opted for the satisfaction of desire rather than for obedience to the commandment of God. The devil appealed to the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. An interesting comparison is to compare 1 John 2.16 with Genesis 3.6. Over against this lust, this desire, as the word lust means, the desire of the eyes, desire of the flesh, pride of life, was God's simple commandment, you shall not eat. The options given to them are really the same options that one faces now, all through life, day by day, hour by hour. They reflect two distinct moralities, two antithetical religions, if you will, and two discreet manners of life. On the one hand, the one says, I shall live according to feeling. The other says, I shall live as God says. As one counselee put it succinctly, I hate her and I hit her. When Adam sinned, he was oriented toward feeling abandoning the commandment-oriented life of love for the feeling-oriented life of lust. You see, there are only these two ways of life, the feeling-motivated life of sin oriented toward oneself and the commandment-oriented life of holiness oriented toward God. These two ways of life are diametrically opposed to one another and force one to make choice, a choice between them. Throughout the day, one's life consists of many such choices. The two lifestyles involve patterns of lust or love. They are oriented toward and motivated by the counselee's desires or God's commandments since they acknowledge two distinct sources of authority, self or the Bible. They focus upon separate goals, temporary pleasure or eternal joy. They acknowledge two masters, Satan or God. They offer two different ways of handling life's problems. The one resorts to running, covering up, lying, blame shifting, and so on, while the other insists upon facing problems, confessing sins, speaking truth, and assuming personal responsibility. They bring about their own results, too. The bondage of chaos in this life and eternal loss, or the freedom of structure and eternal joy. <clears throat> one was the way of the so-called enlightenment, the other was the way of the Reformation. Until recently, the former was present in Western culture, but the latter was the official stance of most of the institutions of society and of culture. But now a reversal is taking place in what has been called the rise of a new morality. It is not new. The only thing that's new is that the former hedonistic way of life that was once under wraps is newly replacing the old official Reformation stance 
of responsibility to God that once permeated our Western world. Living according to feeling rather than God's commandment is a fundamental hindrance to godliness. It's a clever wile of Satan to tempt men to think that they cannot do what God requires because they don't feel like doing it, or that they must do what they feel like doing and cannot help themselves. Often the argument takes subtle forms which at first seem plausible, even pious. For instance, a husband and wife may say, I guess there's nothing left to our marriage, no love, no feeling, nothing and thereby hope that the Christian counselor will concede that a divorce is allowable on other than scriptural grounds. If they can get him to agree to this, they hope that their bad consciences over what they have already determined to do may be salved. They vainly look for balm in Gilead and his little kit of tricks. But instead, the Christian counselor must reply, I'm sorry to hear that. I guess you'll have to confess your sin and learn how to love one another then. This reaction, their reaction to this is usually sheer astonishment. They protest, we told you we don't feel anything for each other anymore. But the counselor has to say, I understand that, but that's irrelevant. God says you must love one another. And if you must and you don't, then you need to learn how to do so. And when you learn how to love one another, the feelings of love will follow. Love is not feeling first. It begins with obedient living, obedient living toward God. They might say, what do you mean, that we must try to love one another contrary to our feelings? And the answer is exactly. Wouldn't that be hypocrisy, they might protest? No. It would be simple obedience to God who has commanded, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So the counselor has to say, Joe, God says you're responsible to love, Phyllis. Love begins with you, the husband, whose love must reflect the love of Jesus Christ, which in 1 John 4:19 is described this way, we, the church, love because he, Jesus Christ, first loved us. He may say, I couldn't love her that way. Well, then he'll have to start at a lower level, I guess. Christ commanded, love your neighbor as yourself, Matthew twenty-two thirty-nine, And of course, she is your closest neighbor. You have to live with her, sleep with her, eat with her. He might say, I can't even love her like I love my neighbor. Okay, then, he has to begin at the lowest level. Love your enemies, Christ says in Matthew five forty-four. There's no way out. God commands love even toward an enemy. And a couple who say we have no love left are people who are following feelings and making love equal to feelings. Love begins not with feeling first, but it is first expressed by giving. How do you love an enemy? Not by trying to feel right toward him, but by giving. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He loved me and gave himself for me. Husbands, love your wives and give yourself up for them as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. When you learn to give of yourself, your time, your money, your interest, eventually you'll feel what you ought to feel toward that other person. Because where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And your heart includes the whole man as well. Uh, it means the whole man, including his feelings. It's not hypocritical then to do what God says and obey his commandment. 
It's never hypocritical to obey God. Indeed, the only thing that makes it hypocritical is to say you love when you really don't. But you can begin to learn to love if you begin to invest yourself in that other person whom you don't love as you ought right now, your wife, your husband, your children, your parents, your friend, your neighbor, your boss. Invest your life giving whatever that other person needs and that you have that you can give, even to the very life itself. And when you give, as to your enemy, a cup of cold water or something to eat, pretty soon he's no longer your enemy, though you may be his. Your feelings toward him will change. Don't start with feeling first. Start with obedience to the word of God. Lord, help us to opt for the obedient life rather than the life of feeling, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.